0: Pull back the curtains a little bit and let us see. There's more than meets the eye to motivation, to keeping on with God, or to keep walking with Him. There's more to it than meets the eye. So the three things in your bulletin we'll talk about. Uh, you'll see they're printed. Is if you're going to patiently endure uh, as a Christian, you you have to know three things. You have to know these from this passage. Number one, you have to you have to know that He knows your situation. You have to know that He controls every detail of your situation, and you have to know that He praises, or He's willing to praise, your endurance. And so why don't you stand up? We'll read this passage, and we'll look at these things. This is Jesus Himself speaking these words. And to the angel of the church in Smyrna, write this: the words of the first and the last, who died and who came to life. I know, I know your tribulation and your poverty, but you're rich and the slander of those who say that they are Jews and are not, but are in fact the synagogue of Satan. Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to throw some of you into prison that you may be tested. For ten days you'll have tribulation. Be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life, or I will crown you with life. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The one who conquers will not be hurt by the second death. Then ahead in chapter 3, he says this to the church in Philadelphia. Write, The words of the Holy One, the true One, who has the key of David, who opens and no one will shut, who shuts and no one opens. He says, I know your works. Behold, I've set before you an open door which no one is able to shut. I know that you little Christians in Philadelphia, I know that you have but little power. And yet you have kept my word. You have not denied my name. Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan who say that they're Jews but are not Jews, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet. And they will learn that I have loved you. Because you have kept my word about patient and endurance, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on earth. I am coming soon, so hold fast what you have so that no one may take your crown. The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of my God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem which comes down from my God out of heaven and my own new name. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Why don't we pray and we'll talk about all of this crazy imagery and stuff that doesn't make sense. Lord Jesus, we just heard you speak directly to us. No one was quoting you. This isn't John, this isn't Paul, this isn't someone else. This is you tonight in a fresh way talking to us. And we need to hear your word come to us the way it really is. You're speaking to us in a real tonight kind of way. It's not a public service announcement that we're at the mall and we overhear it. It's a personal word from you to us tonight. You say, if you have ears, which is us, if you have ears, listen. So Jesus, give us ears to truly hear what you're saying. Help us tonight, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. All right, why don't you take a seat and we'll a lot to talk about. We've lived here four years now. We grew up in Georgia, lived in Philly, Colorado before here. Um, and we love New Mexico. We really do. We love the place, the geography. It's still really cool to us. We come from a land of trees and a land of you can't see anything because there's trees everywhere. Um, we love this school. And Ann and I would tell you hands down the number one thing we love about it is y'all, uh, we love our church. We love the friends that we have there. But the people are what we love most about New Mexico. However... Living here is really hard for us too and one of the reasons it's really hard for us is anytime we want to see our family or we want our kids to see their grandparents or their cousins, at best it's like $600 and 12 hours on multiple airplanes just to get one way And at worst, if it's in a car, it's two days of driving and hundreds of dollars of gas just to get back to Georgia. And so we don't get to see our family very much, and that's hard, and it's hard to have kids growing up, living their lives without access to the people that I grew up with who are my family. That's hard. There's another thing that's hard about uh, RUF here at New Mexico State. The nearest other RUF is about an eight-hour drive away. And after that, it's 15 hours. I grew up in Georgia. There's seven. RUFs in the state of Georgia. Uh, If you're a a pastor over there, whatever, like me, you can drive probably an hour and a half in any direction and have a guy to go get a beer with or go get coffee with who can encourage you, pray for you, help you (laughs) fix the problems you've created, who can commiserate with you, who can just boost your spirits or just be there with you and you have just the joy like when you have a friend who you're like, this guy just gets me and it's just fun. Um, That's not out here. There's no one I can go in and talk to about that. And so that, that, make, that, that can test your morale and that can leave you feeling pretty isolated. It can affect me vocationally. Like I don't know how you grow very fast in your, in your job if you don't have other people there to sharpen you. So there's that difficulty as well. Then there's this. Ministry is great because I get to see many of you whose faces I'm looking at right now. I, I knew you when you were dead and alienated from God. And I know you now and you're alive because He's met you and He's been true to His promise to forgive you. And you're alive now and that's been amazing. But every now and then we see the reverse happen and it's hard to get over it but we see people walk away from Jesus. People who just, like we talked about last week, coast in bitterness and their heart gets harder and harder and harder until they're like, man, Christians are the stupidest people in the world. God's not here. He's not real. And, And I see that every year too. And that makes this job really hard and that makes life out here really hard. And then there's all just the other regular stuff of like the normal ups and downs of life, the, the pressures of leadership and that kind of thing. So we love New Mexico and we love y'all and we love it here, but it's also hard. Which is why it meant the world last week, sometime late last week when my boss's boss's boss, my mega boss, called <laughs> We were talking about something else, and uh, before he hung up, uh, he said this. um, And I'm saying this because I have a point here. I'm not trying to tell you all, Ben's awesome. When are you going to realize it? (laughs) John said this before we hung up. He said, Hey, Ben, before I hang up, I just want you to know we know that you're isolated out there, we know you're far from your family. We know ministry in the Southwest is a lot more fragile than ministry in the Bible Belt. And we think you're doing an awesome job. And he said, we are so grateful for you and Anna being out there. And we are so encouraged when we hear the stories about your students. Don't stop doing what you're doing. And he hung up. And his words meant the world to me and to Anna when I told her for two reasons. The first is he noticed how difficult our situation can be sometimes. He noticed. He gets it. When so many people don't notice, just because they don't know, or they don't want to know, like, he noticed. Hey, I totally get that there's some hard parts about what's going on, even though it's great and it's encouraging everything else. Like, John's been doing what I do for 25 years. He's seen it in a ton of different contexts. He flies all over the country meeting with guys like me. John knows the ins and the outs of this job. And so for him to say that meant the world. He knows what this is. And so it meant the world to me because he knows how difficult our situation can be. The second reason it meant the world to us is because he noticed our endurance in what is sometimes a very difficult situation. He didn't just notice that things are hard for us and say, man, I'm, I'm think, I'm, we're praying for you and we're proud of you. He noticed the decisions that we've made, the sacrifices that we've made to be here. And that mattered to him. So much that he... It's not just that he said something about it. The fact that he picked up on it made such a big difference. And a funny thing happened since that conversation about a week ago. Um, I wasn't in a particularly hard place before, but like, my gas tank's feeling full, I'm ready to go. And anything that felt difficult before, his conversation with me, his encouragement kind of flipped everything around and turned everything upside down in a good way. Because my boss knew my situation, he praised our endurance, and he cared enough to say it. Now, you all know the feeling that I'm describing, and, and this is why I'm not telling this so you can pity me or you can say Ben's awesome. That's not the point. The point is this. You know this very well. Y'all have had jobs or you're in a job where you've worked your tail off. You make little decisions that nobody else sees or seems to care about to show up on time, to do a really good job, to not take shortcuts, to not lie on your time sheet whatever and you're not getting any feedback from it. Where does your mind go? about your boss, your master. You probably, or a professor, you're working your tail off your professor, nothing, silence from the other end. What do you think? I must be sucking. I must be sucking at this job. Or you're like, I'm doing awesome and he or she sucks. And you get bitter and resentful towards them. Or maybe you get criticism from them and it's even worse. Um, And you know the feeling. When you don't get that feedback, when, no, when someone doesn't know your situation and the difficulties of your situation, and when they don't notice the sacrifices you're making to endure, uh, and, and they don't notice it, they don't give you feedback, your morale goes through the floor and you want to quit, you want to walk away, right? This is us. And this is really real too. Because have you ever felt this with God? Have you ever felt this with Jesus? Himself. You feel the same way. You feel like you're busting your tail. You feel like you are trying to learn what it means to turn away from temptation and sin. You feel like you're trying to learn to walk in faith. You're doing all the right stuff. Like you're 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 putting yourself underneath the teaching of the Bible. You're you're maybe you've started to go back to church or whatever. You're starting to have more honest conversations with people. And you hear silence. And your mind has started to go where our minds go with our bosses here on earth. You start to think, man, I'm sucking. This Christian life thing for me is just not going well. And if Jesus did have anything to say with me, it would be, He'd be just all over me, nitpicking this and this and this, and what about that, and you didn't do that, and what about that, I saw that. Or, you just resent Him, because He seems like this evil taskmaster who's never satisfied with how you've been doing. This is real. I think all of us can relate to that somehow. But this gets even more real because the encouragement side of this is real too. If you have heard from Him, you've come across an article, you've heard a sermon or a message somewhere, you've talked to a friend, and somehow Jesus got through to you like we prayed He will get through to you tonight. And His praise, or Him noticing the ins and outs of where you are right now, your situation, it it got through to you, it penetrated you, past all the noise and and, uh, distraction. And you heard it, and it made all the difference. Didn't it change everything? Happens in ordinary life too. I've sat across the table from some of y'all in your depression, and somebody... Me or one of your friends or a parent or some, somebody noticed. Someone signaled to you through their words, their body language, their hug or whatever. I know what you're going through. I know what it's like to be your at. Um, I, I know every day is a fight just to get to the end of the day. I know it's a fight just to be around other people. And your endurance, really like, I am so proud of you. Because I know you're having to work ten times harder than anybody else to do the most ordinary things in life. I've seen... Tears come out of your eyes and a smile come to your face simultaneously when you hear that because someone noticed and knew your situation inside and out. Not in an informational way. I got a memo about your situation the other day and I've been informed now. But they know you. They know what your life is like. And more than that, they've noticed the little sacrifices that you made that you thought nobody noticed. And it meant the world. I've sat across many of you this year and in years past who from your earliest moment in life have felt attractions to people of your own gender or both genders. And I've sat with you as you get to college and you feel like finally I have space from parents and other influences to actually put this on the table and try to sort it out. And I've seen you day after day week after week choose to remain in the difficulty. You choose to talk about it. You choose to ask questions about it. Some of you have chosen to move towards Jesus in the midst of that struggle that might not go away, of desires that might not get sorted out in the near term. And you have chosen to turn your back, just like everybody else in here is called to do, You have chosen to turn your back on what feels so natural and what feels so captivating and you have faced towards Jesus and life has gotten harder for you not easier for you. You have have looked in the mirror and said the honest words I can't have both sin and Jesus. Jesus himself says one master it's either one or the other you can't have both you just can't. If If you want that if you want any of our Sins, You can't have me because this will master you. And if you want me, you can't have that because that will master you. And I have seen the courage and just the fighting spirit in so many of you as you have made a lonely, hard, painful decision that other people don't understand. And like I said, I've seen your face when you hear somebody, a pastor, maybe a friend, a parent, look at you in the eye and say, Hey... Jesus knows even what life is like for you. And He cares about all your weak little decisions to follow Him. When you fail and fall flat on your face again, and by His power and mercy you get up again and you look back to Him, it matters to Him. He saw it. Your decision to finally come into the light and talk about this, he saw that. It mattered to him. He cheered you on in that moment. When you hear this stuff, the tears come out and the smile comes because you're starting to think, I didn't think he was anywhere near this issue or this struggle. And he was there all along. And he was for me and he was with me and he was encouraging me. And it mattered to him. I just shared two examples. There's so many more. Your family situation, your family mocks you, persecutes you because of your faith. You're in a roommate situation, a peer pressure situation, whatever. We could pull the room and we'd have whatever, 65, 70 different answers of what your situation is right now that you need to know Jesus knows and that you need to hear Him encourage you in the midst of. We are all dealing with this no matter who you are or what life is like for you. And my question to you is this. Wouldn't it change everything if you could hear from God Himself? And He said, not in an informational way, but in a personal way. I know what you're going through the way my boss said to me. And I'm thinking, I never realized He knew. I never realized He knew. And then he encouraged me in the midst of that. And, I said, and I, I'm thinking to myself, I never realized he saw that. It wasn't some extraordinary like feat of courage that I launched to, to have an awesome job in a great town. But the little, little decisions for endurance he noticed. And my question to you is, wouldn't it matter? Wouldn't it change the world if you heard God himself speak to you tonight? Three things, they're pretty quick because they're super obvious in the passage. Number one, he's got to know your situation, that he's in control of every detail, that he cares about your endurance. You have to know that Jesus is familiar with the ins and outs of your situation and he gets what life is like for you. I said it already and I want to drive this home, not in an informational memorandum kind of way, but in a personal kind of way. There's this Hebrews chapter 4. It's this repetitive coming back, 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 again and again and again, proving the point, persuading you, bending over backwards so that you believe that Jesus or God who became man was made like you in every single way except without sin. Which means he gets what life is like in your skin and he's still able to live your life on your behalf and then hand you the results for free and say, would you like to have my righteous life? And I take your unrighteous life. Jesus had to be the perfect redeemer for that way. And Hebrews is saying that. He was made like you in every single way. Hebrews 4.15 says, You do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with your weakness. But you have a high priest who in every respect has been tempted just as we are, yet without sin. Which in some mind-blowing way I don't know the full, I don't, I don't understand the depths of this mystery, but Jesus was tempted in every way. Like, that's the bulk of our life, right? We, we live a 24-hour period and it's just a bombardment of temptation from every side. Do you know that God knows what it's like to walk out under machine gun fire of temptation every minute of His day? Again, not in an informational way, like He's omniscient, He knows everything about my situation. No, He's lived your life. He's lived your story. Deeper and more fiercely than you have. Did you notice, like, this isn't just the life and the story of the church, the Christians in Smyrna, or the Christians in Philadelphia. This is Jesus' life. You You can tick down the list. And everything that happened to them, happened to Him. They're rejected by the religious elite. We'll talk about this in a second, but the religious elite look at these new Christians, these people who say, We're alive, we're the people of God, the Spirit of God's been poured out on us. Life is totally different now. And they said, What? Who the flip are you? Get out of here. You guys are, y'all are nothing. Who made you king? They're rejected by the religious, religious elite, they're ridiculed, they're persecuted to the point of death, they're put to death. They live a life of tribulation and poverty, having to patiently endure and having to live holding on to a thread of God's Word. They have to live by faith. Every detail of their life comes right out of the playbook of Jesus' life. Which is to say this, Christian, every day you've lived is a page torn from the life of Jesus Christ Himself. The ups, the downs, the confusing parts, all of it, the temptation... You have not experienced anything except giving in to temptation that Jesus has not experienced Himself. He is made like you in every way, which is just to prove the point. You've got to get this. It's personal to Him. Jesus is that friend who just looks at you and you know He gets it. He's the friend who just shows up in your moment of need and His mere presence... Speaks volumes because you know he knows. He doesn't even have to say a word. He doesn't have to sit down and lecture you about 10 steps to getting through depression. You just look at him and you know he gets it. Or whatever situation you're going through, you get through, you look at him and you know. So he doesn't just know that life is hard for you, and that you're being persecuted, that you're being tempted to compromise and sell out and bow to the altar of people pleasing or bow to the altar of comfort. Instead of allegiance to him. He doesn't just get it in an academic way. He knows things like this. He knows you feel like you're out of tricks, like you're out of gas, like you're at the end of your rope. He knows that he knows what it's like that you don't see a way forward in whatever situation you're in, or you have been or you will be in. He knows you might be hurting and confused right now, and he knows what that means, and he knows that you might be the object of everyone else's laughter right now. He knows. Chapter 3, verse 8, he says, I know your works, I know that you have but little power, which is to say, I know how fragile where you are right now feels to you. I know your life feels like a house of cards, the slightest little breeze, and you come crashing down. God says to you, I know. This is his story, not just our story, not just their story. And so I want you to get this. When Jesus calls to you tonight, when He speaks to you, because these are His words, not mine, you've got you to hear the personality of it. And you've got to push away all these stupid thoughts about, man, here's a lecture from on high. Here's a memorandum from heaven. We can push it further. We can say that Jesus knows more about your situations than you know about your situations. The Christians in these situations, here's what they knew. They knew that we're being rejected by the religious elite. They knew, holy moly, what's going on? Why are we getting so much blowback? Like Jesus is king, why is everybody against us? Why are we getting killed? They knew they were poor. They knew they were facing surprisingly fierce persecution. That's what they knew. So imagine, let me ask you tonight, in your situation, what do you know? It's limited. Remember? Revelation's about pulling the curtain back, saying there's more than meets the eye. But I'm asking you now, what meets your eye about your situation in life right now? What do you see? And then ask yourself, what does Jesus see? Because he pulls the curtains back and gets the panoramic view of what is actually going on in your life. Here's what Jesus knew about their situation In fact, you're not poor. This is beautiful. I love how he just, he, he can't move on with this thought until he brackets this with parentheses, and he says, I know your tribulation, I know your poverty, but you're not poor, you're, you're, you're so rich. Little Christian, little weak Christian, you are so rich because you have me. He doesn't tack that on at the end, he says it there. You feel poor, you are so rich. Number two, he says, the Jews who are accusing you are not, in fact, my people. These people who have the position of authority, they, pu- they have their hands on the reins of power in the little spiritual system in Smyrna and Philadelphia. He says, the people you think are calling all the shots and are close to me, they're not close to me at all. They're not my people. You are my people. And so... Even though churches or synagogues, which is a Greek word for assembly, even though these gatherings of God's people are shutting you out, he says, I'm opening the door to you. And he says, you are my people. And he says this, these people who are rejecting you, I will make them come back to you and bow before you. And he says, then they will know that it is you I have loved. So he says, the mockers, the scoffers, those who ridicule you, ridicule you; those who seem to have the megaphone in the bully pulpit, who dismiss you, they will leave that bully pulpit and they will bow down before you and they will know, not they will think or not they might know or they should know, they will know that it is you I have loved. In other words, I have your back and I'm going to show them that I have your back too. Jesus knows something more about their situation. They just think people are getting arrested and put in prison and getting sentenced to death for stuff they shouldn't be sentenced to death for. Jesus knows the devil's behind it, right? Jesus knows there's something more sinister and big behind what seems like a bad situation, getting put in prison. Jesus says, no, this is the devil himself trying to snuff out my kingdom. He is the reason that you're being put into prison and Jesus also knows something else that they didn't know that he will bathe them with life on the other side of all of this he will crown them with life which means the which means the be all end all the thing that gets last word over them is god giving them life this has to be part of our perspective remember revelation there's more than meets the eye. Whatever situation you're in, you might be at a pretty normal, easy place in life right now and this isn't hitting home with you or you might be in a really rough place. But you've got to ask this question. Are you, or Actually, let me say this. Don't be so naive as to think that you understand all the details about your situation right now. Hold the conclusions and interpretations you've put on your life with an open hand because I guarantee you there is much more going on than you think there's going on. There's a song we sing. It's called Before the Throne of God Above. This song is exactly what I'm talking about. What do we know? What does God know? When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within. That's what we know. I am despairing. The devil is every day bringing all my crap right up in front of my face and saying, you haven't changed. You're not alive. You don't really want God. What a... Why bother with this? He's hardening your heart. The perspective shifts halfway through the song. Upward I look and see Him there who put an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. That is what we're talking about. You have to let more into your interpretive grid than just what you see. You have to let God tell you what's going on in your situation. A few practical things and then we need to wrap this up. If your situation right now is you don't know what you're supposed to do after graduation, could there be more going on in your situation than just you can't figure out your future future job? Do you need Jesus to pull back the curtain and tell you a little bit more about what might be going on? For instance, could it be that God is letting you feel your weakness and letting you feel your dependence on Him so that instead of just a job opportunity, you get a bigger God for the rest of your life? You get less anxiety for the rest of your life. You get more unshakable confidence in Him for the rest of your life. Could that be what he's doing in your lack of certainty about what major or job to get? Could there be more than meets the eye? In your continual temptations, you deal with every day and every night. Could it be that God is letting you feel how weak and helpless you are so that you will run back to him and away from your strategies to try to fix yourself? And so he is actually weirdly letting you experience the ferocity of your temptations so that you will get the picture. Run back to Jesus. He is what makes me righteous, not my track record on this particular issue. If he pulls the curtain back, could that be happening too? I bet so. This huge, awesome opportunity that you feel just passed you by, that's how you interpret it. Dang Lord, why didn't the timing work out on this? And you ask Jesus to pull the curtain back. Could it be that He's protecting you from a decision that you have no way of knowing would derail your life? Could it be that you're supposed to meet your wife or your husband in some wildly different town than you think you're supposed to live in? Could it be that the town you have the dream job in has horrible churches and you would die, you would wither on the vine if you moved to that town? And so Jesus... Made you miss the dream job and you got the mediocre job in a town where you will grow like an oak tree. Faith looks like doubting your conclusions and your interpretations of your own situation and let God start telling you what's going on. You say, Where, Ben? In His Word. He's doing it tonight, He's letting you see the panorama. That there is more going on than just meets your eyes. He's in control. He's not just happening to you. Jesus is the one who's in control of all of this. You know the disciples? They're on the lake. All hell's breaking loose. Their boat is sinking. The winds are blowing faster and faster. The waves are topping the edges of the boat. They're going down. They don't know how to swim. It's first century Palestine. You remember what happens life seems out of control. But Jesus is on the boat and so everything is under control which he proves when he wakes up because he says one command peace be still and it all stops. This is what I mean by you have to know, you have to see through the fear, you have to see through the details of your situation and know that if Jesus is near, I'm safe. It doesn't matter what dangers are coming because he's bigger than the danger. He's lord of the dangerous stuff. He's master of the threats. And He's for you. And so all He has to say is peace be still. You have to know not just that Jesus knows your situation, but that He is controlling your situation. He is Lord over all of the unruly, uncontrollable details that you're afraid of and that I'm afraid of. You can suffer the unimaginable if you know that Jesus is in control of your situation. If you know that on the other side of the suffering, even to the point of death He's talking about, these people being martyred, that He will reward you, that He will bathe you in life, you can suffer anything if that's what's in the forefront of your mind. The corollary is true. If you lose sight of the things we're talking about tonight, you cannot suffer. You cannot endure. You will bow the knee to the God of comfort or the God of cultural assimilation or the God of people-pleasing or the God of parent-pleasing, or the God of money and affluence, or the God of whatever, you will bow the knee. Because life will get so hard and it will dominate everything in your vision. And you will start saying, why is this even worth it anymore? And you will start to make compromises and you will walk away. That's why Jesus is encouraging His people and saying, I see it. Don't you know it matters to me? Don't you know I keep notes on every little weak moment of repentance, every little moment of confession or apologizing to a roommate, every little moment where you feel like a failure, but in fact you pushed back against the temptation for the first time instead of bowing to it and letting it dominate you. Don't you know Jesus takes notes so that He can praise you, so that He can encourage you? We end with this story. Polycarp. Somewhere around one hundred AD, Polycarp was the disciple of the John who wrote this book of Revelation. He was one of the last living people who personally knew an apostle. Polycarp was eighty-six when this happened. Some of you know this story, I've talked about it before. Polycarp is an old man. You know the deal, if you've been here the past few weeks, what's happening to Christians in the Roman Empire? Persecution's going viral. They're being tortured. They're being persecuted so that they will switch allegiances and say Caesar is God. Well, this 86-year-old man who knows John, who knows Jesus, is bound up and he is brought into the Colosseum. And the governor of the region says this. This is actually uh, translated accounts from people who were there that day and wrote down what happened. As Polycarp was being taken into the arena, a voice came to him from heaven Be strong, Polycarp, and play the man. No one saw who had spoken, but our brothers who were there heard the voice. When the crowd heard that Polycarp had been captured, there was an uproar. This crowd of Roman citizens. So the governor asked him whether he was Polycarp. And upon hearing that he was, he tried to persuade him to apostatize or... Turn away from the faith, saying, Polycarp, have respect for your old age and swear by the fortune of Caesar, repent and say, down with the Christians. Swear, urged the governor, reject Christ and I will set you free. To which Polycarp replied, 86 years have I served Jesus and He has done me no wrong. How can I blaspheme my King and my Savior? The governor replied, I have wild animals here and I'll throw you to them if you do not repent. Call them, Polycarp replied. It is unthinkable for me to turn from what is good to turn to what is evil. He said, if you don't want the animals, Polycarp, I'll just have you burned. To which Polycarp replied, you threaten me with fire which burns for an hour and then is extinguished. But you know nothing of the fire of the coming judgment and the eternal punishment reserved for the ungodly. Why are you waiting? Bring on whatever you want. And he did. Because he was executed within minutes of saying this. In front of all of these cheering people. I told you. Jesus tells you. You can't endure. You can't persevere. You won't be a Christian 40 years from now. Unless you know that Jesus knows your situations inside and out because he's lived them. Unless you know that he encourages your endurance. Unless you know that he's in control of every single detail of reality. And He will use your weakness. He will use your failings to spread His kingdom. That's what He means. I have the keys of David, the keys of the kingdom, and I put an open door before you, which means the time is just now ripe in your persecution for my kingdom to explode. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, Make this true of us. Make us be able to see you knowing us, our situations, you knowing and controlling all the details that we're afraid of. Let us be like the disciples who though terrified before we realized who was on our boat are quickly brought to calm when they realize the one who is on the boat is the one who is master and lord and king, the conqueror. Jesus, help us to endure and persevere. And for those who do not know You tonight, I pray that they would look through this pane of glass and say, My, what an amazing God. That He would care for and love His people like that. I want to belong to You. I pray that You would call them even tonight. We pray this in Your name. Amen.